podcast from Joanna Mike is I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. Having Aiden back is just fun. It speaks for itself in many ways as we simply bounce off one another with our ideas and thoughts. And it's a real pleasure to look at such serious historical characters in our unique method. Madison is a president, number four, who people should definitely take a look at. He was intelligent, very intelligent. He had difficulties emerging above the towering personalities of the day, but he managed it and he thrived mainly through the support and inspiration of his wife, Dolly. Dolly masterfully carried and massaged political relationships in a way that would make today's marketing and relationship management gurus scratch their heads. Anyway, I shan't delay a moment longer. Aidan is back and we jump into the histories of Western democracies with gusto and colour and the kind of industrial language you may have come to expect from such an occasion. Great to have you back, Aidan. Enjoy. Um, Aidan, I've got you back again, and I think a lot of people are going to be happy because you can't imagine how many people have been uh, talking to me about Aidan, 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 you know? Man, that's wild. Well, I'm back. It's good to be back. Been a little bit busy with uh, my social life and, like, getting back to work and kind of, like, post-COVID life uh, figuring out. But it's good to be back. I feel a lot more stable and, like, ready to jump back into some of this stuff but it's good to be back yeah great it's great to have you back um and i I should also point out that um in in the intervening period um and people don't realize that you do a lot of background production work on uh, the road to tarvalon uh, which is a a far more condensed uh podcast um (laughs) with a lot more because there's also a youtube channel and there's a lot Mm. of uh, different kinds of organizational things that um um yeah that that they do and that your mum does um and so on i don't have of course but um yeah, you've been really busy on the podcast stuff, so people shouldn't think that you you've been out of the game at all. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, still still deep in podcast land. I, I edit that podcast pretty heavily, so like all the music and like everything that goes on with that, and like kind of condensing those podcasts down to be a little bit more listenable and like a little bit more of a, a easier flow and whatnot is kind of what what I do on that podcast. But like, it's good to kind of be back and being able to record a podcast i haven't been able to do that in a while but like other than that it's i'm like oh gosh it's so good to be back <laughs> Thanks yeah, it's for good to, oh mate it's good to have you back because also i think there are sort of history professors around the world crying out for um aiden style historical analysis um yeah. yeah and i i still love the fact that you refer to some of the founding fathers as dudes um, I mean, I think that's that that kind of stuff is priceless. Um, but uh, yeah, let's not uh, let's not muck around so much anymore. So today's um, I suppose I suppose presidential victim is James Madison. Yeah, 
What a what a guy. Mm-hmm. Not man, I was like kind of surprised. I didn't realize that he had two terms. That was a little bit surprising. I thought he might have just been like a one-term president, but nope. Um, yeah, interesting guy. Not a lot of like big things in my opinion that I was like, yeah, this is like super noteworthy. But like lots of throughout his entire political lifetime, just like backstabbing friends, like the whole time was kind of the big thing that I was just like, I don't like you. This whole time, you just, like, kind of backstabbed everybody just to kind of get the benefit for yourself and, like, promote yourself. Like, his allies throughout, gosh, like, Alexander Hamilton was one of his allies that he was like, yep, never mind, screw you. Like, you've got these different views than I do. Like, they butted heads through most of, like, their political lifetime. But, like, to be making such enemies out of like your friends through your entire political life is just like, damn, brother. Like, oof, I don't know why you do that. That's a bad call. Yeah, I mean, he's he's quite well regarded in some of the work that he did before he became uh, president, um, mm. and uh, that's to, kind of what you allude to with regards to his uh, his relationship with Alexander Hamilton. Um, and uh, other sort of um, political luminaries of the period. Um, mm. So he was president from 1809 to 1817. Um, and in my sort of generalized introductory notes, I've termed him founding father, father of the US Constitution and slayer of Brits. Um, is Yeah, is that too much? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, how do you see it? No, I think that's pretty fair. Like, I mean, the War of 1812 and, like, that that being, like, something during his presidency and that being such a pivotal, like, that war went horrible. There were very few victories that ever happened. There were, like, the peace treaty was eventually sent in, but, like, the amount of victories that America had lost and the amount of, like, our our White House was burnt down. Like, that's the only time in American history where something like that's ever happened. So, like, his presidency is kind of marked with these moments of, like, these embargoes that didn't work out, these trade acts that didn't work out, and kind of, like, being like, you know what? I'm going to go to, like, we're going to go to war. And beforehand, this entire time, like the jeff or not the jeffersonian but the like more federalist side of the party had kind of disbanded the army and the navy to a heavy degree so that way this war wouldn't go well um so like throughout this time like he's making these moves but he's made so many enemies in his own party and throughout the parties outside of his that most people are pretty much against him throughout his entire presidency which i thought was like an interesting idea like you have the presidency you should be a little bit more like you should have more people on your side like jefferson had quite a few people on his side he was a very popular president compared to somebody like madison but like madison is just like enemies at the wazoo it was wild yeah um but i guess maybe the reason why he was able to do what he did was that you know he was quite a respected 
um, sort of political activist in the, the build-up. I mean, um, he he came up with um, what is known as the Federalist Papers uh, with Alexander Hamilton and John Jay. Um, and um, said that this was like a collection of 85 articles promoting the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently this was done because um, Hamilton had uh, noticed these anti-federalist papers that were being published in New York um, yeah. under somebody called Cato. And he was responding to them under his pen name Publius. Um, and in discussions um, with uh, Madison and uh, John Jay, they eventually produced these series of articles, um, yeah. which apparently later on um, it became or, or at least uh, led to that what became the, the Constitution. So he was very instrumental in, in, in pushing mm-hmm. for uh, this the Constitutional Convention of 1787. And so therefore yeah. had a lot of respect in lieu as a result, didn't he? Yeah, and absolutely. Like his earlier career is like marked with things like the Bill of Rights. Like being such a heavy advocate for something like the Bill of Rights was something that really played in his favor. Um, He brought up the Virginia Plan during the time that, like, while America still had the Articles of Confederation, like our original Constitution, he had proposed the Virginia Plan, which was very heavily based on like. The legislature branch, the judicial branch, uh, his plan never ended up being like the final plan, but it was very heavily like a lot of the plans that we talk about now that made a huge impact. His plan was one of them. The Virginia plan is a huge one in it. Like he's got a lot of impact in his like studies, his writing. He was really like succinct in being able to write his ideas out. He wasn't like as fiery as somebody like Thomas Jefferson or Alexander Hamilton, but he was very like well spoken, well written. He was well educated. He went to Princeton when he was young. Um, like he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. And especially in his early career, you see a lot of his like advocating for like religious freedoms was one of the biggest things that he did right when he got out of Princeton was like he went back to his hometown. And he advocated for, like, the religious freedoms of, um, I think it was the Baptist group that was in his town, uh, which was primarily Anglo-Saxon at the time. And he advocated for their religious freedoms very heavily. And, like, it's one of the reasons why we have the Bill of Rights is his advocation for those religious freedoms, really pushing those ideas. Um, He had a big impact on that, in, in my opinion. Mm. And it's also interesting. Um, so he is the second of four Democratic Republican presidents, the fourth of which John Quincy Adams, um, in my notes, is half Democratic Republican and half National Republican. So therefore, there is a this sort of uh, uh, separation, as it were, um, of political ideals uh, that starts mm-hmm. to develop later on. Um, and perhaps that which forms the basis of the parties which we see today, the Republicans and the, and the Democrats, um, because uh, this is sort of European ideals or political ideologies such that nowadays we look at left and right. Um, mm. That's you know, something which uh, has come to us from the, the French Revolution. But um, as you talk about Ham- Hamilton there, I look at my notes and I see that he, um, you know, after 
being or serving in the Continental Congress uh, until 83. When he returns to Virginia to serve in the state legislature, he was very disappointed in how the state government worked. So he, as you say, he's very much a Republican. Um, mm. So he wanted to see um, stronger government. Uh, he yeah. wanted to see less excessive democracy. And this is where there is um, a clear the um, point of conflict uh, with some of the the people of his time. So Jefferson um, was more wanting to be a sort of majority ruled by the people, um, mm. and so on. Hamilton was uh, an elitist, um, and, and Madison was that strong government. Um, and yeah, yeah, these were the arguments, I suppose, of, of the day. Yeah, and these arguments really like. The arguments between Madison and like his opposing parties, like during this time, there were, Washington had very heavily been like, we don't want political parties. Political parties are going to be like the downfall of America. It's like one of his famous quotes. Um, and the attacking between these two parties really started to take place during these times between like. Jefferson's presidency and the lead up to uh, Madison's presidency, we see a lot of this attacking between these two parties. Um, and it very much is reminiscent of like what we see today in terms of the same kind of attacking of the political parties. Like they're different because they're on the other side. We're the right side kind of thing. And like this these heated debates that kind of just don't end up going anywhere, you know, like, and these attacks that are just like simply based out of like, you're not me, like we're different, screw you kind of thing. And that really started to pick up during Jefferson's presidency. And at the beginning of Madison's presidency, you start to see a lot of these attacks happening in, in the press um, Madison kind of biting back a little bit like the Federalist Papers are kind of one of those things where like anonymously he's kind of biting back against some of these ideas um, and I think that that's kind of a like his earlier career is a little bit more fun than his like presidential career like his presidential career is kind of like he gets into presidency and he's just kind of like he, he's just met with a lot of struggle like the whole time he has just met with struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and as you say, uh, we should also mention, because I'm pretty sure this is going to figure highly in his rating. But um, as his predecessor, he was born into wealth. Uh, he lived on a slave labor farm, um, which we refer to normally as a plantation. Um, and he, as you say, he was very intelligent, but he was a person of sort of lesser, shall we say, physical stature. And so therefore he, he focused very much on his, um, yeah, ability, his mental abilities, his intelligence, yeah. uh, to be able to carry him through where other people were always, oh, look at this great man. He's yeah. such a, a, a prowess, as it were. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Madison had to do it in a more difficult way, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, standing out, if I'm not mistaken, he was five foot four inches, uh, which is very short for especially, I mean, for a man. And even in that time period, that's still pretty short. But like compared to somebody like George Washington, who's standing around the same time as this guy like George Washington was breaking like six feet if I'm not mistaken so like 
got this these towering men, and then there's like little James Madison, he's little tiny guy, and I mean his intelligence is really what brings him to the table is like him being able to stand with these greats even though he doesn't compare to their size whatsoever he's still able to make these massive waves by putting in his ideas and like not really being afraid to speak those ideas either um was one of his big things especially earlier on is just kind of like i've got these ideas i'm saying it i'm just gonna fucking say it i guess like and he did like and it worked for in his favor often like especially in the beginning kind of like getting these allies in uh, the continental congress by bringing up these ideas like alexander hamilton thomas jefferson george washington these are all like people that he became close with in these early years and they really were very influential in terms of like in the long run how he was able to establish himself in presidency like becoming so being so close with like people like thomas jefferson like he was his secretary of state during his presidency so makes sense that he would be able to kind of get in there Um, Mm. and and also um ridiculously hard working um which appears to have been a trait among the earlier presidents um (laughs) as in i know nowadays they (laughs) how many of them work i mean you know a few days here and there of golf you don't really need to work too hard you as president nowadays but uh, it's a it's a hard job i don't know what you're talking about they're out there in the fields (laughs) dude I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But in the old days, definitely um, prodigious, either in writing articles, letters, um, meetings, getting involved, doing things. Um, what's interesting as well is obviously in the early presidents, the ones who we've already mentioned, they've all in some way created some kind of precedent. They've introduced a certain kind of culture within the presidency in the formulation of of this government um and what appears to be the case is once again um okay madison inherited uh, a lot of wealth from his father um but he also um married a slave owning family who despite being a quaker um kept hold of some of her slave even though her father emancipated his own slaves after the revolution from what i've read however mm. dolly had a huge impact on Madison and his success as president. So as as we've kind of observed, his career or his persona was a bit more special before becoming president. Um, But after he became president, he really had to rely on the charm, intelligence and wit um, and beauty um, of Dolly. and what's really interesting is, as you say, he had he created lots of enemies. So he wasn't really um, the kind of person who could, you know, get everybody to come, to, you know, come join me. Let's do this and so on. Yeah. He was very argumentative. But his wife um, created a lot of social events at the White House, um, inviting friends and enemies, um, yeah. and turned the White House into this a bit of a um, bit of a place for knees up, basically. Yeah, nice little, like, especially considering, like, a president who is so, like, with enemies at the wazoo, you know, like, having a wife who kind of compliments him in this way that is, like, able to be the outgoing member, be able to bring these people together, like, it 
finally having somebody like that for Madison, like a lot of people when Madison finally met Dolly were like a lot of his allies and his friends were very happy for him because they were like, finally he has found somebody who can kind of compliment him in this, in this way. Like, and luckily she did stay with him like his entire, like up until he died. Um, and like that, that sort of relationship is really nice to see because I feel like it's something you don't see too often in terms of that beautiful complimentary like somebody who can kind of be quiet and somebody who's a little bit more outgoing I, I enjoy that like kind of perspective and I, I like seeing that for the presidency um yeah yeah um is that because I've I've made lots of notes uh with regards to some of the problems which madison had to deal with um at home yeah yeah um so i mean because we've we've traditionally um looked very much at a kind of um this sort of international arena um the development obviously of of the nation um yeah. but also you know relationships with france war with with the uh, Britain and mm. and so on. Um, but I've also done quite a bit of research here into how he dealt with First Nations um, people and tribes. And yeah. I, I, I've, I've got a huge potentially monologue, which I could read, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, I first want to see wh what direction your research took, because we, we completely do things independently. Yeah. There's no, you know, none of it is, uh, we don't organize this stuff between us. You do what you do and I do what I do. Where did, yeah. you, where did you lead? Where, what was your interesting point? Just kind of like getting into like kind of his first major quote unquote victories were victories that took place during the like the War of 1812, mostly with uh, tribes, like that he he had sent armies out to go fight them, and like during this time, the British were kind of like encouraging the tribes to fight against the Americans who were like kind of pushing against them, which makes sense. Um, but at the same time, uh, the just mass slaughter is like this is kind of the beginning of what we see in like the trail of tears is like this beginning of a push in this mass slaughter of people who have already been here for so long um but i'd love to hear what your monologue is you've got me intrigued <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right um yeah, I mean, for me, this it's a bit of a disaster because I'm looking at it from the perspective of obviously what happened um, thereafter to First Nations. But you've got the British colonists who had uh, managed to attract the support of the, the Iroquois, the Catalba, the Cherokee tribes. Um, and then the French colonists supported by Wabanaki Confederacy member tribes, Abenaki and Micmac. And I'm, I know I'm pronouncing this terribly, but then there's also the Algonquin, Lenape, Ojibwa, Ottawa, Shawnee and Wyandot or Huron tribes. So, um, yeah, obviously, these European powers, they have sent whatever uh, people across that they have, but yeah. they are completely taking advantage of first nations tribes and saying okay you guys you join with us we're going to give you what you want but first you've got to kill those guys over there um and well essentially you could even call them distant cousins um 
but yeah they didn't care because yeah. what the hell yeah i mean gotta protect your land somehow and like gotta have allies so in this kind of way like it, it's such an interesting idea like this like here we'll help us help you kind of thing and then like if you can help us the idea that yeah everything like you guys can totally have your land kind of thing we won't ever encroach on it we won't take it over kind of thing like you know that even if somehow if like there was an alternate timeline where the british did win and like they still took over like i imagine that no matter what there would still be this like there would still be this drive out of the original like the the first nations people you know like i think that that is just this colonizer mindset of like we must do this we have this new place and now let's take our stuff and let's spread it out you know yeah, yeah um and i mean obviously we're talking here about the background to the war which then developed through the decades and so on but is it the initial um uh, tactics that we saw were just continuously repeated and repeated and repeated and um what i thereafter eventually noted down was that uh, essentially the creation um of the usa the irony i've written is that the the deepest form of horrific irony is that um, the early uh, creation of the United States, they killed a nation that need not have been killed to create a nation that would never be comfortable with its legacy. Um, that's the way that I yeah. I, I kind of see that the US at the moment, because I still believe there is a, uh, there is in many areas a, extreme discomfort um, with what is domestic US history and this is borne out by, you know, DeSantis' laws um, where he's talking about controlling uh, divisive content in schools, um, that no race should be should consider itself responsible for um, events of uh, the hist- of history and so on. And yeah. um, that they shouldn't be in any way blamed for that history and so on. So, I mean, they are essentially trying to clean the slate of a slate that cannot be cleaned yeah it, it's impossible to cover it up is what it feels like is just like kind of like don't talk about it we can't talk about it and if we don't talk about it then it didn't happen and there's far too many people who want to continue to talk about it and far too many people who still frankly remember uh, a lot of things like this and still remember experiencing things like such like heavy racial discrimination like acting as though it's something that doesn't happen anymore like no these are still things that happen today um these are still things that we struggle with today um we still need to find a way to talk about it in a more comfortable manner but like the idea that we just can't talk about it is such a like it's such a bass backwards way of putting things like just in terms of like why like we should just be talking about it so that way we can have a better understanding of it so that way we can better understand all sides of these points that we've like we have greatly fucked up a lot of shit in america the first nations slaves like we fucked ourselves up 
And this idea of being able to wipe this slate clean and have this beautiful legacy of like, our founders were wonderful people. They were all great. Like, no, that is not true. We need to look at this and like, today's point of view what kind of things were they doing that makes them makes the things that they put into place so like not in line with this current time you know like the idea that people put putting things in place during the set like the late 1700s still being applicable today like yes there are some things that are still applicable but a lot of it is still just like outdated it's outdated like there's a reason why our constitution is a living document. It's made to be amended. It's made to change with the times. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, indeed, I, I'm not sure that um, uh, there are many nations that have managed to successfully sort of view their history and, in, in some ways. Um, come to terms with uh, you know, what they have done, how they have formed themselves, um, at the yeah. cost to whom and so on. I, I'm not sure there are many countries that can look yeah. back and say we've done what we needed to do. Yeah. Um, but definitely the, the right way about it is not to introduce laws which mean we should no longer talk about them. Um, and that to me just simply suggests weakness rather than strength. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe that's what's to be expected, unfortunately, of uh, the modern <laughs> Republican Party. True. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. But, anyway. Uh, yeah, but jumping back to then uh, after the War of uh, 1812. So after the French uh, sort of lost their influence in North America, this was a huge disaster for the native tribes who they had supported or had been supported by France as well and vice versa. Um, but thereafter there was zero support or help from any international power. The, 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 the native, um, the First Nations people, uh, Native Americans were simply left to their own devices. And so, yeah, um, yeah the, the government of Madison took advantage of that. Yeah. Basically. Um, and there, I mean, in this, we have to mention uh, Tecumseh, um, and uh, historians traditionally viewed the Battle of Tippecanoe as the sort of final devastating blow to Tecumseh's uh, confederacy. So he had grouped together um, a group of tribes to try to fight for uh, that which um, they felt, um, you know, was there was rightly theirs, you know, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, but this uh, this Battle of uh, Tippecanoe was uh, that which uh, you know sort of took care of any chance that he may have had uh, of creating a sort of final homeland or place where they could um, consider their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how, how I mean, did you get to any of the, because of, of, I really looked quite deeply into this because uh, for yeah. me it was important to reflect upon, um, you know, the, the perspectives of the First Nations people and, you know, how, who they had got together uh, with and, um it's a bit tragic for me to read back a history and think because it's so easy now to say, man, why didn't you do it this way? You know, why <laughs> did you have to do it that way? Yeah. You know, and um, as I was reading, I was really hurting, you know, with these um, yeah. with these individuals. You know, they're 200 years dead. And yet I'm still thinking, man, guys, I wish. Do you know what I mean? 
like the whole time you're just like why why would we do it this way like why is this a, a humane route to take why is this a a mindset that we feel as though is appropriate for like moving people because like it's not even moving people it's just fucking slaughter like making our armies move out there and just kind of like being like yo welcome to our land actually like this is a very just it it is it's heartbreaking and it is like infuriating in a lot of ways just because it's like this is such a horrific route to take unnecessarily like that i feel like there could have been so many better routes to take like you said where it's just like you look at it now and you're just like why would you do that but like in terms of the research that i had for the first nations like there was not a lot in terms of like what i was finding for like a few documentaries I watched, like they felt like they kind of just brushed it over. Like they were just like, and some of these major victories with the First Nations, like, and that was kind of it. And after the ending of the War of 1812, just kind of this change in like uh, Madison's persona, like he kind of went from being this very down, dour man to being a lot more uplifted. He'd finally done something and just kind of like being picked up in this way. But like a lot of the documentaries that I had watched just were not mentioning a lot of the like deeper aspects of like the First Nations battles and like the aspects of which James Madison was like involved with them, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I strongly recommend that people, if they are indeed interested in, in some of the, the stories um, of the First Nations people and uh, how um, the fact that they are so underrepresented nowadays in American political society, um, they should probably take a look back at these uh, these years and try to identify exactly um, how severe some of the tactics were, because there was there were also um, you know, propaganda coming out, um, even perhaps later on, how the different interpretations were towards Tecumseh and one of his uh, co um, colleagues, as it were, in 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 battle tents Kwatawa, um, uh, you know, and you know people have said, well, yeah, there wasn't really um, animosity between the two, but other people have said, no, yeah, there was. Um, and this is, you know, perhaps a question of propaganda, in effect, yeah. dividing and conquering. Um, you know, these principles have existed for you know thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and and un- unfortunately, the, I think the First Nations people were perhaps not prepared for that kind of strategy. I I think that like it makes sense that they wouldn't they that they wouldn't be like having. These are two very different nations at very different levels. You know, like America during this time is very like, boom, we are on the move. We are ready to go. We've got people. We've got like, we're not great on money at the moment. Like America is struggling with debt. But like this push and like having something like the printing press is a huge benefit compared to somebody like the first nations who everything that they did was all spoken word of mouth. Like all their stories, all their information was all spread word of mouth. 
So having this sort of like, these are two completely separate groups that are completely different that take on these things completely differently. So it makes sense that they wouldn't be able to combat something like that so easily. Like if you're on the battlefield and then you get moved to the next spot back, like the people behind are only now hearing about it. Like, and so they don't have the same time to prepare. They don't have the same ability to like kind of congregate and come together and be able to fight against this, this horde of, of Americans really. Yeah. Yeah. And also the the, the fact that uh, these sort of successive American presidents have been educated uh, along the lines of European history, along the lines of um, sort of really battle hardened studies for, you know, from ancient Rome or even Greece and Sparta all the way up through, um, you know, to the French Revolution. So um, the kind of tactics that they were able to employ built up over centuries and centuries. Yeah. Um, in many cases, you can say perhaps the the first nations, you know, disregarding technology, is just purely this the kind of kind of strategies uh, that the Americans um, were able to introduce. I mean, I imagine that there were certain intelligent tactical warriors um, among uh, the first nations, and in fact, Tecumseh is considered one. Um, mm. I made a note here, Major General Isaac Brock wrote um, about him uh, to have been, uh, yeah, noises everywhere here, but to have been, um, he said of him, a more sagacious or a more gallant warrior does not, I believe, exist. Mm. You know, so you know, there are qualities that were to be observed from a strategic perspective of First Nations people. However, were they skilled in deception? Yeah. Um, you know, was that at all or had that really been a part of their strategies in the wars between the tribes? Um, were tribal wars conducted under perhaps more honorable circumstances? Yeah. Uh, because essentially there were simply different tribes of the same kind of race, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, whereas with European history, you're looking at completely different nations, different cultures. Um, and they didn't care what tactics they employed as long as they won. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, it, it feels like it's to be expected from, like, America, like, especially, like, fighting the British right out the gate, like, during that time, they were fighting in much more, like, organized patterns, so, like, kind of rank and file marching, and America was like, yeah, no, we can't do that, like, we don't stand a chance against something like that, so, like, America started, like, um, the American troops were, like, fighting from the trees, and they were fighting from the bushes, and they were taking, like, very, like, what we would call, like, guerrilla warfare tactics, like, today. Um, and so, like, it makes sense that America would kind of take all these, like, deceptive routes to kind of be like, yeah, no, we are just going to do whatever the fuck we want to do in order to get the thing that we got to get. And, like, it's very much like we're going to be seeing this manifest destiny taking place very soon of like this American ideal that we we do have this land like this is our land. It's our destiny to go grab it and go take it and conquer it and like make it ours. And we'll be seeing that in the next few presidents when we get there, like that this is a huge drive that we're going to start seeing the American people take take on the same kind of like push out west that the army is currently doing to kind of like 
get the native people out. Um, it's such like a horrific push. It really is. It's just devastating. When Madison became president, it was kind of a part of his uh, policy to introduce the natives um, into uh, what was considered, he said, uh, a civilized state. Uh, so to convince them to become more like more farmers, uh, to develop European style agriculture, um, essentially to assimilate um, for the Native Americans to assimilate values of British and US civilizations. Um, wow. The question is, how much was that forced upon um, these people? Um, were their interests taken into consideration? Um, apparently, Madison didn't really believe uh, that uh, the native tribes could be fully assimilated into Euro-American culture um, because he said they were simply unwilling to transition from the hunter or even the herdsman state to agriculture. Um, so therefore, you know, clearly, uh, he had different uh, strategies in line uh, for how yeah. to achieve that. And I mean, it, it plays a part in the future as well of how America deals with the First Nations peoples is like putting in them in these like schools and being like, here's all these like Americanized values um, kind of take like stripping away any kind of um, like identity that they may have associated with their tribes. Um, like, I believe that a lot of that stuff starts happening uh, in the early 1900s. Um, uh, reform, reforming schools, I think, is what they may, may have been called. Uh, but kind of this drive of like getting, quote unquote, getting the savage out of the out of them. Like that was the drive that a lot of the like politicians had. That's what a lot of them saw, and it's this like. It's merely a lack of understanding of a culture, a lack of understanding of a people, and in turn, a lack of willingness to understand. And that lack of willingness is really what drives this just like brutality is this push. Like, we don't care to understand because your values are not the same as ours. So fuck you. Like, get out of our land. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And in fact, as you say, I mean, he was very much uh, biased uh, against them. Uh, he considered them to be savages. Um, and apparently it was his secretary of war, uh, William Crawford, who advocated the encouragement of intermarriage uh, between uh, Native Americans um, and uh, the European Americans uh, as a means of assimilating them. Um, which then led to some kind of public outrage and so therefore turned uh, the newcomer Euro-Americans even more against um, the indigenous peoples and even more hostile. And that yeah, basically takes us up more or less to um, the end of his uh, presidency.
He retires back to Montpellier, which, as we've already observed, is a plantation, um, even though it was in some way it was suffering a decline because of price declines of tobacco um, and yeah. also his stepson's mismanagement. But anyway, that's a different matter. Um, I, I'm happy for some uh, amount of pain and displeasure to have fallen upon this individual. Yeah, sure. You had to sell some of your slaves and some of your land to pay back some of your debts. Fuck you, dude. Like. That's kind of just like, why? Why? Like, going through all these like historical figures that we put on these pedestals, it's just like you uncover so much about them. And it, and it, all of it is just like, maybe I understand why Ron DeSantis doesn't want us to talk about some of this stuff because uh, it's not good. But at the same time, we need to talk about this shit, man. Like, the fact that you and I are talking about this and the fact that there are people who listen, like, I'm sure that there's a like there's a lot of information to be spread that a lot of us don't know and especially here in America like we aren't taught a lot of this stuff in such depth and in such detail where we get to learn about the misdeeds of these founders as well as their like their fortunes and the great things that they've brought us like we are mostly taught these great things we're not really told about the their downfalls and the things that they've done as human beings that make them human beings. Like I hate going through and just being like, Oh yeah, no, these people are not on pedestals at all. Like they, they can be like, we're all human beings, you know, but the idea of Americans just really, I like all of our founders are on pedestals and they're heavenly halos around them the shining light glowing down like there's chimes playing in the background like no man every time that we do this it's just this like deep dive in how wrong that is yeah and the you know, the terms founding fathers keeps getting banded about almost as though yet yeah, just for that one unique uh, act these people should be uh, yeah heralded as, as yeah. some kind of you know angelic influence upon upon their reputation but um if that's the case for for many people today it was not the case for James Madison himself in his final years um when he basically resorted to trying to change his letters and documents um, so that he would be seen in a slightly different light to that which was the case. I mean, um, wow. yeah, apparently, yeah, I mean, apparently he was, I, I don't know, he was almost like addicted uh, to forging even other people's writing um, just so that he could, you know, produce some other kind of uh, reflection or proof of who he really was um, wow what yeah. a, hmm. <laughs> I, like I mean yeah I mean you read that and you think to yourself man you know how desperate do you have to be that you would even change your own letters your own writings um, because you realize oh one minute I look like a prick here and I should perhaps yeah. change that um, that's who he was and um, it's not really it's not really known very much yeah I'm like I did not know that that is ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah i don't like that at all that puts my score for him a little like that that's at least 10 points down or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he must be close to minus at this point but um yeah so he died in uh, ni in 1836 at the age of 85 so he lived a long long yeah. life um yeah. for the days um 
So, yeah, you, you mentioned it, so we might as well come to it. Um, let us remind ourselves of the scores of uh, his predecessors. So uh, George Washington got 37. Uh, John Adams, uh, the Federalist, 24. Mr. Jefferson, 12. Um, Aiden, I'm putting you under pressure here. What, what are you going to put for Mr. Madison? Gosh, this is a hard one. I think that he's also in the 20s. Um, say maybe like 21. He's not good. He's not. I'm not. I feel like he's not as bad as Jefferson. So I think he's a little bit above him. But enough of his actions is like like the wars, his fighting of the First Nations peoples, his disagreements with all these other members, like his presidency doesn't really amount to much. Um, so I'm, I'd stick at like that 21. I think 21 feels good. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, as always, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go with that. And I mean, I think we've already commented in, in previous episodes when talking about um the U.S. presidents, that a lot of the first bunch are going to be heavily tainted um, yeah. by their association and willingness to continue in owning slaves. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Madison is no different. Um, so we will, uh, in fact, see um, how that plays out um, later on. Um, but as we we kind of talked before we got into the the, the, the podcast that we're going to address a few prime ministers. And recently, obviously, um, King Charles was uh, crowned king. And um, in that time frame, the last couple of months, um, a few media establishments were talking about whether or not uh, or how much uh, Great Britain and perhaps the royal family in, in the years gone by um, had played roles um, in certain events, you know, perhaps, for Ooh. example, the slave trade and so on, and whether or not there would be some kind of reflection um, and whether or not there would be some kind of funding for educational programs yeah. to talk about this. Um, but then things kind of went a bit quiet. Um, but as we know, because we've already looked at a couple of the early prime ministers and we are well aware of the kings who were engaged and actually set up some of these um, trader routes and yeah. companies, um, there's a lot more to get into, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited just to hop across the pond again. <laughs> it's, mm. a, it's always an interesting time. So they basically, we're going to be fair and we're going to butcher the legacies of some of these uh, British prime ministers, but not by fabricating what they did, um, rather by talking about the truth um, as yeah. well as we can find it. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see where that leads us. Yeah, I'm excited. Time to hop across the pond. Time to get us caught up with those PMs to our presidents. And uh, gosh, man. Time to find out some horrific history, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Aiden, what can I say? I've, I've been looking forward to having our chat again for months. Um, I'm really happy that we've uh, been able to uh, reestablish uh, this mm -hmm. particular uh, program. And um, yeah, w whenever the next one takes place, um, yeah. I can't wait. 
Yeah, me too. I'm stoked. I'm already like, man, I'm going to have to start researching. <laughs> so I'm excited. Thanks for having me, Zach. I really appreciate it. And a mic.